All right, let me jump in. I want to let you guys know that I don't fly in airplanes as much as I used to. I used to fly a lot more back in the day. You know, back in the day, I flew a lot more. I went to all kinds of airports. I've got my favorite airports and my not favorite airports. And they all have kind of different security, don't they? Has anyone ever been to the Tulsa International Airport? Like, no. One, two. Yes. All right. So they have this thing that when you go there, you have to do your hands like this and kind of make like moose ears. And then there's like an x-ray machine. Has anyone ever seen one of those in the airport? And it, it does that. I don't know what they're taking pictures of, which is kind of weird. Kind of creeps me out a little bit. But they've got that at Tulsa, which is so different than Malawi. If you go to Malawi, Africa, there's no machines of any kind. They go in a room and they have automatic weapons and they tell you to strip down to just like Anyway, they just tell you to strip down, and then on the way out, you have to, like, strip down again to make sure you're not taking anything out of the country, and you have to give them a $20 bill. Like, I don't know what that's about, but if you want to leave the country, you give them a $20 bill. But in America, we all know how it works here, don't we? You wait in the big, long line, and as you're waiting in the line, you're going to get closer and closer. And as you get up there, you got to take off your belt, you got to take off your shoes, everything comes out of your pocket. It all goes in the bin, right? And the little bin goes through. But there's always that person, isn't there? There's that person who thinks, I don't have to take off my belt. Nope, I ain't taking it off. You know, I don't have to take off my shoes. I don't, my keys, I might need my keys up in the airplane, so I'm going to keep them in my pocket for safekeeping. I'm not going to put it in the bin. There's always that person. The last time I went on a mission trip, I was that person, and it wasn't even intentional. I was going to someplace sunny, and I, I take this thing as my carry-on. This thing, it's all wadded up right now. This bag is humongous, though. And what I like is you've got, like, zippers down here, zippers here, zippers here, zippers in there. There's zippers and hidey holes all over this thing. Like, you can jam a lot of stuff in this bag. So I got this bag, and I was going someplace sunny. Now, guys, I have a lot of, when I don't have a beard, I have a lot of face. Just a, a lot of space on my face. <laughs> and it's white. It's really, really white. And so I have to take my sunscreen and slather myself up. If I don't, I sunburn my head. And I'm not being funny. Like, I really sunburn my head. And it hurts. If you've ever sunburned your head, like, you know, it's, it's horrible. And I can, <laughs> I sunburn fast. So, yeah, you know, like, I have my sunscreen because I'm like, if it's sunny, I'm going to get slathered up. And I have the good smelling kind. You know, I won't, don't want just, like, just sunscreen. I want good smelling sunscreen. And so I had, like, a huge bottle hidden in one of the compartments. And I had it hidden not because I was trying to be sneaky. I was just like, if it pops open in the airplane, I don't want it to get on my computer and everything else. I had it in its own little hidden compartment. I go through and the guys look at my bag and they say, where's your liquids? Well, I don't have any liquids. No, you have liquid. No, I, I threw my water away because I knew you would confiscate it. Like I, I've got no, and I held up my little spray bottle for my glasses. I'm like, it's like 1.2 ounces. I've got my glass, eyeglass spray, but that's all the liquid. They kept searching that bag till they found it. And they looked at me like, uh-huh. Tried to trick us. Didn't want to put it in the bin, did you? You know, and they, they threw it away, and uh, I lost my good-smelling protectant. <laughs> you know, I think that the process of salvation is a lot like that. I think sometimes when we go to God, there are things we don't want to put in the bin, and I don't know what it is for you. 
Maybe for you, it's, it's your position, and maybe it's your good deeds, and maybe it's your wealth. And I think we've all got different things, but I think there's things that we don't want to put in the bin and we hold on to, which, which brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea is that we contribute nothing to our salvation, and that's a price that many are unwilling to pay. Let me say that again. We contribute nothing to our salvation, but that's a price that many are unwilling to pay. Again, good morning, everyone. I am Billy Creech. I'm your interim campus pastor, and I want to welcome you to Woodside Romeo. We are in a sermon series called Paradox. Today, we're talking about the paradox of salvation, and we're in the book of Mark. So take your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter 10, as you're you're turning there, I want to call your attention to something that C.T. said. C.T. said, you need to get here early and you need to come in because there's all kinds of things. He told you, I'm going to say it a different way. I know some of you, because I heard out in the lobby when I ran out there real quick, <clears throat> some of you feel like you come to the 1015 service. <laughs> it's really a 10 o'clock service. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just going to say this. Over the coming weeks, we have Easter, and we have Good Friday, and we have Palm Sunday, and we have Easter egg hunts, and we have new systems that we're putting into place for our database management, and there are things over the next few weeks that I'm not even going to say. I'm just going to say it's going to be an exciting season over here over the next month, and you don't want to miss it. You don't want to take one single Sunday off, and you certainly don't want to be late, right, because this very possibly is going to be the service. You've had it before where everybody has to do the SOS, scoot over some. You know, it's going to be that sort of thing, so the earlier you come in, the better it's going to be, right? The earlier you come in, the better it's going. You've been warned, like just so you know. So don't, don't email and say, Billy, why didn't you tell me that this was going to be going on on that Sunday? Why, well, I wish I would, if I would know, I would have been. Now you've been warned. So everyone knows. All right. So again, the big idea, we contribute nothing to our salvation. That's a price that many aren't willing to pay. We're going to look at three ways, three ways we embrace the salvation that Jesus offers to us. The first it's you need to receive God's kingdom with trust. Receive God's kingdom with trust. Let's look at the word of God. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. And they, talking about parents right here, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So Jesus is there, the disciples are there, and these parents come up and they start to bring the kids. And when they start to bring the kids, hoping that Jesus will just touch them, just bless them. The disciples, they started this, well, you need to stay away from Jesus, which is so weird that they would do that, Right? Because we know just one chapter ago, Mark chapter 9, verse 37, we covered it a couple weeks ago. Jesus has already talked about this. He's already covered this issue, and that's why the Bible says he was upset. But it doesn't use the word upset, does it? It uses the word indignant. Indignant. The word indignant, if you like to take notes in your Bible, circle the word indignant. And you want to make a note off to the side that says this is the only place in the whole New Testament that this word is used with Jesus. This is the only place, it's so unique, this is the only place this word is used. It's two Greek words working together right there. And it means much and to grieve. Much and to grieve, that's the two words working for it. So Jesus was much grieved. He was really grieved. He was really upset. 
He was really frustrated. He was indignant in this moment when he was working with the disciples. In fact, he goes to the place again. He's already done this before. He explains to the disciples using the children this object lesson, and he basically says, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you have to come like the children. You need it, and which is something they struggle with. It's something we struggle with, isn't it? We struggle with the exact same thing. Here's what I mean. How many of you remember when a brother or a sister or if you're a parent, you remember your child. Remember when it went from the hospital to the home, that newborn baby, hospital to home. You remember the event. Raise your hand. A bunch of you. Not all of you, a bunch of I remember both my kids. I was there. I remember both my kids when they went from the hospital to home. And uh, with the second one with Gabe, I was like, no, nah, I'm ready. You know, I've got that. With the first one, I was freaked out. Like I was, because so, I was afraid that I was going to break him. That I was going to, and for good reason, like for really good reason. Here's what I did. A few months later, like he's born in October, so this was like December-ish. It was cold. We were in Oklahoma. It was cold. And so I took a blanket, and I did what you're supposed to do. You know, you just cocoon your baby. You just put a blanket over their face, which might explain why he's claustrophobic now. But you put a blanket over their face, you know, and you cover them all up. And, and back in the day, I don't know if it's still this way, but back in the day, you had like a base in the car and you could just like click it in the car. Do they still do that? Or did they? Okay. Yeah. All right. I don't know. They probably changed design because back in the day, the design was off. It was not my fault. It was the design's fault because I snapped Ian into the base and I got in, I started the car and he started screaming. Like he was mad. And Ian back then was a good baby. Like, he was, he was really sweet back then, you know. He, was, he hardly cried. He just wanted to snuggle up, you know. He was, just, he was just a happy, happy, happy little baby. And all of a sudden, he's screaming. So, like, any dad who has no idea what they're doing, I sit there and I think to myself, I'm going to reason with him. He's two months old, but I'm going to go give him the what for, and I'm going to explain to him why we don't act this way. You know, so I, I did. I wish I was making it up, but I'm telling the truth. I got out of the car. I opened up the passenger seat. I pulled down the blanket so I could look him in the eye and talk to him. And when I did, I'm staring at his feet because he's upside down. Yeah, and he was, he was so mad. The blood's all draining to his head. You know, the blood's totally, yeah, that would be a hashtag parent fail right there. It was awful. When Jesus says we need, to, we need to come like children, and I think the point is, is when children come, they can't, they can't right themselves from being upside down. They can't feed themselves. They can't change themselves. They can't, they can't do any of that. They're dependent on you for everything, aren't they? It's that scene when there's an adult in the swimming pool clapping their hands from the deep end saying, jump, I've got you, trust me. Right? There's nothing in your hands. There's nothing you can do. You leap. And I... My question this morning would be, have you done that? Have you taken that leap into the arms of Jesus saying, I trust you wholly and completely. I trust you with everything I am. I trust you, Lord. Some of you have never done that. And my hope is that today is your day for that. There's others you have, like you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, you've taken that leap, you've leaped into the arms of Jesus, you've said, I'm trusting you as my Lord and Savior, and yet somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, you got off track a little bit, didn't you? You got off track and you started to do things almost that said, like, Lord, I'm pretty much the same as you. We're on the same plane, so I don't need you. Thank you very much. Some, you've gone to this place to say, I think I know enough now. I think I've got enough money now. I think I've got enough stuff now. I think I've got enough friends now. Jesus, I don't need you, but if I need you, I'll let you know. 
When I read the word of God, we're never called to get to that place of not needing him. That's why we call him our, what, our heavenly father. Isn't that beautiful? We contribute nothing to our salvation. That's a price that many are unwilling to pay. And so number two thing we need to do is we need to repent of our goodness. Repent of our goodness. Look back at the word of God, verse 17. The word of God says this. says, and as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And then he, this young man, and then he said to him, teacher, all these things I kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go. Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So the text here continues. Jesus starts with the disciples on this journey. The Bible, we know what journey, don't we? I've been talking about it over the past month or so. Jesus is on a journey with the disciples to Jerusalem. He's on a journey to the cross. He's on a journey to Calvary. And along the way, this young man comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. We don't know everything about this man, but we know some. We know some. We know based on what evidence we see that he's being honest, isn't he? He really wants to know. He believes there's heaven. And he wants to know, Jesus, how do I get there? How do I get to heaven? How do I inherit the kingdom of God? What does that mean? We know, okay, Matthew also talks about it. Matthew says he has great possessions. Luke also tells a story. Luke calls him a young ruler. So here's what we know. We know he's wealthy. We know he's religious. And we know he's powerful. Isn't that pretty much the opposite of what Jesus just described with the children? You need to come to me like a child with nothing in your hands, like you can't do it on your own. You just have, isn't that pretty much the opposite? So he goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do? And so Jesus starts to name some of the commands, not all the commandments. Jesus starts to name some of the commandments. And the man's like, whew, I've got that. From the time I was little, I've kept all the commandments. Do you see that? So he's like, I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to do. And then Jesus brings out this one thing. He says, I want you to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Why would he do that? Why why would Jesus ask that? Well, the Bible tells us because that's the one thing. That's the one thing this guy was holding on to. Notice when Jesus named off the commandments. Do you notice he skipped the first one? Did you see that? You shall have no other gods before me. This man was so engrossed in idol worship, and he didn't even realize it. He didn't even realize that all of a sudden God wasn't serving as his God. Money was, the coin, that thing that shines. And he was saying, I'm chasing that thing that shines more than I'm chasing the Lord. I'm really chasing that wealth more than I'm chasing the Lord. And Jesus, Jesus gives this incredible invitation. In fact, if you ask me, if we sat down and had coffee and you're interviewing me and you're like, Billy, what do you think is the most heartbreaking passage in all of scripture? I would say this one. Here's why. Jesus looks at him and he he says something that we've heard before. 
Do you remember when Jesus went to Andrew and Peter and James and John? They had a fishing business. They had their own business. And what did Jesus say? He said, no, you don't need to mend the nets right now. Leave the nets right there. Come follow me. And what did they do? They left everything. They left friends. They left family. They left businesses. They left it all. And they went to follow Jesus. That's how the 12 were put together. And what happens in this moment? Jesus loves this man. Do you see that? Jesus loved him. And he said, I, I want you to put the wealth down. Don't chase that. I want you, what did he say? He said, I want you to come. Follow me. And here's why it's the most heartbreaking passage in all of scripture. Because it says the man left. He went away from there. He was sorrowful. He was sad. He leaves. We never get to know his name. We have no idea what his name is. He leaves without knowing the freedom of Christ. Now, church, it's not that Jesus asked all of us to do this, is it? He doesn't ask everyone in here, all this side, what I want you to do. I want you to sell all your possessions. I want you to give to the poor. He doesn't, he doesn't ask us to do that. We see with Zacchaeus, we see that truth. Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. And when he encountered Jesus, he had made all this money. He made all this money really from taking advantage of people. And he went to Jesus. He had this encounter. He said, Jesus, I'm going to give away half of all my wealth, and I'm going to give it to the poor. Now, if Bill Gates gives away half his wealth, he's still a pretty wealthy man, isn't he? If Oprah gives away half her wealth, like, none of us can ever touch that. I mean, she still has so much. Zacchaeus was going to give away half of his wealth. And then he said, anything I've cheated anyone out of, anything I've stolen, I'm going to pay that back four times. He's still rich, but in this moment, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. You know what needed to happen? What needed to happen is this rich young ruler needed to slam on the brakes, turn around, and go the other direction. That's what needed to happen. I recently heard a story from this woman who was going to go from Michigan to Florida with her parents to go on a cruise. And um, there's just one problem. Like from Michigan to Florida, sometimes weather does happen in Michigan, doesn't it? And uh, so I, I found out, like, she missed the boat. Like, that's not good when you miss the boat. She missed the boat, but she's like, you know what? We're going anyway. So they got to Florida. And when they got to Florida, because she's from Romeo, she rented a truck. Because that's what you do when you're from Romeo, right? You could get the convertible, but nope, you don't get the convertible. You get the truck. And so Patty said, I'm not going to mention names, but Patty said... <laughs> That we're going to get in the truck, and we're going to drive to Key West, and we're going to get to Key West, and we're going to get on the boat at the first stop, which is genius. I love the Keys. Anyone ever been to the Keys? Yeah. Okay, if you don't know what the Keys are, off the southern coast of Florida, there's like all these islands, the Florida Keys, and they're joined together by bridges, this network of bridges. A couple years ago, we did our last family vacation, which sounds so depressing, Right? Sounds so sad, but before our, our guy who's in college now, before he entered into his senior year, we thought, we're going to go to Florida. So we saved up, we went down, we were in the Keys, and it was everything that you'd hope it would be, the snorkeling, and the sunshine, and the warmth, and slathering up the head, like it was all there, all that was working. And a one afternoon, I said, we're going to go over to this other island, and we're going to get on a boat, and we're going to go snorkeling. You know, so I had the appointment. It was paid for. It was ready to go. There's just one problem in the Keys. You don't ever want to miss your turn, ever, because if you miss your turn, which I did that day, you end up on a bridge that goes for the next five miles, a five-mile-long bridge, 
and you're stuck. You know, you're, I don't care if it's time sensitive or not. You're on that bridge for the next five miles. And so I'm on this bridge, and the GPS is going recalculating, recalculating. She's all kinds of upset. And I'm like, I know, I missed the boat. And so I'm going, I'm seeing a pattern here. If you go to Florida, you might miss the boat. Anyway, so I'm, I'm driving. I get to the end of the bridge. What do you think I did as soon as I got to the end of the bridge? I slammed on the brakes, did a U-turn, turned around, I went the other way. In church, we call that Repentance. That's what repentance is. It means you slam on the brakes and you turn around and go the other way. And there's some of you who have some idol worship in your life that maybe you're not even aware of and you need to repent. You gotta stop today. You gotta slam on the brakes and you gotta go the other way. If there's anything in your life, anything in your life that you're placing above the Lord your God, you need to slam on the brakes today. Turn around, go the other way direction. James 2 says this. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails one point of it has become guilty of all of it. You see, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Sin separates us eternally from our heavenly Father. To repent means I'm going to, I'm going to turn from that, that thing that I've been chasing that is not of God, and I'm going to turn back towards God, which brings us to our final point today. We need to rely on God's power We need to rely on God's power. Look at verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and they said to him then who who can be saved Jesus looked at them and said with man it's impossible but not with God for all things are possible with God Peter began to say to him see we have left everything and followed you and Jesus said truly I say to you there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So they're standing there. This man leaves, and Jesus starts to teach the disciples. And he says, you know, it's so hard when you're wealthy to let go of that. He, he believes the helping hand he's looking for is at the end of his arm. You know, he's not coming to me like a child. It's easier, Jesus says, for, the, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The camel would have been the largest animal that they would have known. He goes, it's easier for that camel to go through the eye of a needle, which means it's impossible. And they're blown away by it. You know why they're blown away? Because here's a man who's been good at following the rules. He's a good guy. This rich young ruler, he is a good guy. He followed all the rules. Clearly, by looking at him, they would say, God has blessed him financially. And they're like, if, if he's having trouble getting into heaven, then who can be saved? Like, because we're really getting concerned now. He can't get there. Then what are we going to do? Who can be saved? And Jesus says, none of you. Yeah, on your own, you can't do this. You can't do this at all on your own. But with God, it's possible. With God, it's possible. You know, I like, I like intersections a lot. Not like 32 and Van Dyke kind of intersection. But I like, I like like the intersections where you're talking about boats and, and sunshine and then you're talking about Jesus. 
Now we're talking about football, and we're talking about coffee, and now we're talking about Jesus. And I just, I don't know, I think that's the way life should work. I think that whatever we do, it's a Jesus conversation. I want to encourage you to embrace that. Like when you're at the water cooler at work, when you're at a sporting event, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, it is a Jesus conversation just waiting to happen. Uh, I think it can happen in art as well. Sometimes it's easier with some art than others. One of my favorite paintings of all time is this painting. It's by a guy named Van Gogh. No, it's not. It's by Rembrandt. I made that up. All right, so Rembrandt, one of the things that's cool about Rembrandt, Rembrandt always paints himself into the paintings. Do you see him there? He's got like the, the Renaissance hat on, so it's like that doesn't fit. So anytime you see a Rembrandt, look for the thing that doesn't fit. It's a self-portrait. He always just hides himself in the picture. And I think what I like about this painting called The Prodigal is it just reminds me of one of my favorite stories in Scripture. And, and I know you've probably all heard it just gobs of time. If, if you haven't heard it, Jesus tells a story about this father, his father has two sons, and the youngest son goes to his dad and says, hey, dad, I want what I want, and I want it right now. You ever notice anyone like that? Have you ever, like, met people like that? They want to give you their thoughts. They want to give you their opinions. They, they always uh, kind of want to tell you what they're entitled to, right? So this young man uh, comes to his father and is like, dad, I, I want what I want. I want it now. I want my inheritance. I know you're not dead, but I, I want the inheritance now. I can't, I can't even imagine as a dad how bad that would hurt, how that would burn. But the father gives it to him. As Jesus is telling the story, the father gives him the allowance. And the young man goes off and he, I mean, you know what he refuses to put in the bin. He parties it up. He has this party. He's going through the life. He's surrounded by friends. He's got the best food. He's got the best drinks. And that's going along great until the money runs out. Because church, the money always runs out. We all end up facing the Lord empty-handed, don't we? So he, he ends up empty-handed. He's got no money. The friends disappear. The food disappears. The drink disappears. And he wakes up one day. And he's with pigs. There is no worst place for a young Jewish man to be than to be sitting there with the pigs, eating what they eat. Absolute filth, absolute disgust. And as he's down there, looking at their scraps, trying to eat whatever they have, he thinks to himself, my dad's servants, not even the people in the house, just my dad's servants, they're treated so much better than this. You know what he does in that moment? He slams on the brakes. He does a U-turn, and he starts towards home. And the Bible, one of the most beautiful passages ever, the Bible says, while he's still a long way off, that's what it says. While he was still a long way off, the Father runs to him. Isn't that beautiful? My God is not a heavenly Father who's up there with his arms crossed, acting like he doesn't see as you're trying to crawl up and get closer to the house. The Bible says the father runs to him, throws his arms around his son. He doesn't care how disgusting he smells. He doesn't care how filthy he is. He doesn't care that his shoes are in tatters. He throws his arms around his son. Can you see the scene? Spinning around, kissing his son on the cheeks. Can you see that? He tells his servants, hurry, get a robe. Put a robe, because that's my boy. He's home. He was lost, and now he's found. You put a robe on him. You put a ring on his hand. You kill the fat calf because we're having a party. My son has come home, and we are having a party.
older son. The older son comes to his dad. You want to know what he won't put down in the bin? Listen to this. Dad, I can't believe that. I have, listen, I have followed the rules. I've done what I'm supposed to. I've been faithful the whole time. Where's my party? Hey, what's keeping you from salvation today? What's keeping you from salvation? Is it the fact that you have, in your life, you created this checklist of here's the good things and here's the bad things and in your life you're just trying to make sure that you check off more good than bad so that when you face God you're like I think I've done more good than bad so you should let me in because I'm good is it your deeds is that what you're hanging on to or are you that person who's sitting here and you're thinking to yourself salvation pastor you just don't know what I've done you don't, you don't know where I've been. You don't know where I've said. You don't, you, don't, you don't know. You just don't know. I'm not for sure that God could love and forgive someone like me. I just want you to know that his grace, his grace is sufficient. Even for you. We bow your heads with me. First, I, I want to talk just for a moment to those of you who are followers of Jesus. You've already placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. As I was talking about repentance, as I was talking about slamming on the brakes and going the other way because of idols in your life, is that you? Like, did you feel like the Holy Spirit was talking to you in that moment saying there are things, and maybe you didn't mean for it to, maybe it was like just this drift that happened, but all of a sudden it feels like you're not trusting the Lord with your faith like you're supposed to. You're trusting other things, your wisdom or your deeds or whatever. If that's you, this is the perfect time just to say, Lord, I'm slamming on the brakes right now. I'm repenting of that. I'm turning from that, and I'm turning to you. I want to come to you like a kid again, empty-handed. If that's you on the count of three, I want to pray a prayer of encouragement. Will you just raise your hand right where you are if that's you? You're a Christian, but you know today I've got to do some turning in my life. One, two, three. Put your hand up if that's you. I just want to pray over you. I see you guys. Heavenly Father. I thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. I thank you that we get to be called sons and daughters of the Most High. I thank you for the picture that you give us in Scripture where we get to leap into your arms. I just pray that today we're reminded that we get to leap again and again and again and again and again, and you catch us every time. Lord, I don't know what hurts, habits, and hang-ups we have in this room, but I know they're there because we're people. So I pray for these brothers and sisters in Christ that we just continue to put our faith in you and you alone. There's one other group. I think we, we have a group of people in here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I've been talking, as I've been talking, you know that I'm talking straight to you. You know this, like everything in your life has been driving towards this moment, either because you've been trying to to do the dance and check the boxes and be good and you know you know truth is you can't be good enough to get to heaven or because maybe you've done the opposite you're kind of like that guy who went off and you did your own thing in your own party and you know that today you need to place your faith in Jesus here's true truth is that God loves you that's truth we've all sinned we have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. That means eternal separation forever and ever, separated from our Heavenly Father. But that's when Jesus entered the scene. 
And that's when he did what you and I cannot do. He lived a perfect and a sinless life. He was crucified on a cross. He was placed into a tomb, and three days later, he conquered sin and death and rose again. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you're saved in that moment, that you're rescued. So if that's you today, you're like, that's me. For the first time, I'm placing my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never done this before, but today's my day. On the count of three, you're just going to put your hands straight up so I can pray with you. Today's my day. I'm placing my faith in Jesus. One, two, three. Hands straight up if that's you. Hands straight up if that's you. God bless you guys. I see you. God bless you. Now, guys, it's not the hand raising that makes you right with God, and it's not a, it's not a secret prayer. It's what happens in your heart. I want you to have a place just to pray and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Even, even while still a, I'm still a sinner, you love me even in this moment. I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ has come, lived the perfect and sinless life. I believe that he was crucified, died and was buried, placed into a tomb. But Jesus, I believe. I believe that you conquered sin, that you conquered death, that you rose again. And I thank you for saving me today. I am placing my faith and my trust in you as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, will you stand as we sing?